It is your money, and welcome to the show. Reminding you right out of the gate, if you have a financial question for today's speakers, you can call this number 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It is one eight 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 six advice or you can email questions to your money at wealth com. you can also call or text our studio line at 651-461-9226 now here is wealth enhancement group senior vice president and financial advisor peg webb and the founder of wealth enhancement and financial advisor bruce helmer helmer welcome to both of you good morning Susie. good morning bruce Good morning, Peg. Good morning, Susie Jones. Hey, ladies, are you going to ring in the new year? Are you doing anything special? I can't believe we've come to the end of another year, but what are your plans? Do you want to start, Peg? What's your plan? My plan is to stay home and watch movies. Um, My little granddaughter is staying with us this weekend, and so it's just going to be fun to snuggle her and it's quite different when you're younger. You absolutely want to be out there and um, having a super fun night. But uh, this is super fun in in my book right now. It's just <laughs> hanging out with her. Yeah. And I have a bit of a cold to both of you. So I will also be staying in tonight and probably watching a movie under a blanket. So we're not too much fun, but at least we're taking <laughs> care of ourselves as we. How and, about you, Bruce? Yeah, right. Thank you for asking. Well, uh, be safe, Susie. Take care of yourself, Peg. I know there's nothing more important to you right now than being a grandma. Um, we're just having a couple friends over for dinner, nothing too wild and crazy. I went and saw my buddies, uh, Steve and Jerry, at the Lunds and Byerly's Meat Market in Janice, and, and I got steaks and lobsters tonight for uh, for our guests. So low-key, good friends. Um, I'll probably make it till midnight and then hit the sack. <laughs> Very good. Nice. So, Susie, uh, today Peg and I were going to talk a little bit about 2023, what happened, where we've been, take a look back in our rearview mirror, and then talk a little bit about what we, uh, what we foresee for 2024. And again, I'd be remiss, not just Happy New Year to the two of you, but Happy New Year to all of our listeners, to all of our clients, to everyone that has anything to do with this show. We're grateful for all of you, and we hope everyone has a safe, happy, healthy, prosperous 2024. It's always an exciting time, Peg. It's a, it's a it's a rebirth, if you will, or a renewal of spirit and energy and optimism for me. I always, I know you do too. I write down, I set goals. I was actually working on that today before going on air, and I got a few, uh, few more things probably to contemplate. But let's start by talking a little bit about 2023. What happened? Where are we now? I, I would love to. I, I think a lot of times we do use this show to talk about, you know, resolutions and all of that. But I, I like that the uh, marketing team said, eh, let's recap, you know, uh, last year and then let's give some insight as to Wealth Enhancement Group and what they believe is going to happen in 2024. So it's kind of interesting in that 2022 and 2023 were kind of like polar opposites, right? 2022 Oh my God! It was like oh, it's gloom and gloom and doom and and you know even so we we uh, feel like we ended the year on a high though because we had a lot to be thankful for you know still coming out of COVID kind of thing. Well then 2023 started and um, 
by the time 2023 started, the Federal Reserve had raised interest rates 11 times. And they essentially went from zero to five and a quarter or five and a half by the time it was the um, December 2023 meeting. So these moves alone were just dramatic for all of us because we have not been in that circumstance for a very long time. So, you know, when COVID hit and the markets were uh, so confused, you know, it, 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 it spiked inflation like we had not seen for a long time. So because of that, um, you know, the Fed worked super hard on trying to get that inflation down. And it actually did drop from 9.1 to 2.1 in November, super sharp reduction uh, that we've seen recently. And so now the markets are starting to be enthusiastic, Bruce, about um, what does that really mean? And if interest rates, we're dramatically now seeing that interest rates are starting to go down, and we've been coaching our clients for months and months and months now that, you know, you should lock in some of these rates, not only the short ones at higher rate of return, but also start to go out on the yield curve and lock in some of those rates that are further out. Bruce? Yeah, you know, there's an old adage in our business peg that we know exactly what interest rates are going to do, right? They're either going to go up or go down, or they're going to stay the same. We just don't know when. And 11 rate increases over you know, a very short period of time, um, it has had a profound effect. And, and I know, and I don't want to be insensitive to this, that I know there are still millions of people that struggle at the gas pump and at the grocery store. And you know, you and I can sit and say, um, technically speaking, macroeconomically, big picture, inflation is down, but it probably doesn't feel like it to a lot of people. Um, now, when we talk about interest rates after 11 increases, and now inflation is coming down, now we are hearing it is likely, although no one knows for sure in the short term, but it is likely that the Fed is going to lower rates next year. And that's started to be reflected already in a decrease in mortgage rates, a decrease maybe in the interest rate you're getting on your interest-bearing account or your money market account. Um, but, but again, before we look forward, uh, still looking back to, you know, to last year, to 2023, it was a good year, and I actually expected it to be. I think if people went back and listened to old shows from you know, a year ago, you know, maybe January of, of this year, um, we, I think we both, Peg, had some, some cautious optimism but I don't know if either one of us, you correct me if I'm wrong, if you did, I don't know that either one of us thought it would be as good as it's been. As bad as 2022 was, 2023 was even better in many, in many indexes than 2022 was bad. Yeah, <clears throat> I would agree. And, and kind of when we're talking about in, inflation, on the plus side, the supply chain disruptions due to COVID had largely subsided. So if we were looking to, if we were resilient and we were out there trying to buy things, you know, things weren't available. Um, the whole car auto manufacturing was in total disarray. You really couldn't get cars. And if you did want to go buy one, it was kind of put together by pieces that were available at the time. Um, secondly, a positive is that the U.S. business activity 
you know, um, expanded. And actually in December, it's the highest reading over the past five months of just business activity in the U.S. specifically. The job markets have just surprisingly stayed so strong during all of this, you know, during COVID and and um, even as, as of late. And um, there's now just a little bit of evidence that wage price inflation, a concern that we've had for many, many years now, um, the prior years, is losing steam. And then lastly, a positive is the holiday shopping was slightly better than it was in 2022. So that kind of just means that consumers are still quite positive. Now, there's a couple negatives. We still have the war in Ukraine and the Middle East, and that's that's a, a, a pretty big impact on prices, um, especially when it comes to the natural resources. And then overall, consumer confidence, you know, they do a lot of these surveys and try to figure out where people are uh, thinking-wise. You know, do they have concerns over still having a lot of higher prices, future job availability, is interest rates going to raise, are they going to go down? Is my income going to stay the same? You know, um, all the things you think about personally when you think about your own finances. Bruce? Yeah, and we've talked about that a little bit in recent weeks, Peg, and I've I've made the comment that I have this sense, and I I don't poll people. I just, you know, observe and uh, talk to people that come in here and talk to people on the streets or whatever. And I just have, have had this sense what the polling has suggested, the consumer confidence is low. It's reflected uh, in President Biden's approval rating. People don't like the way he's handling the economy. And yet we never get political at Wealth Enhancement Group. We have to stay politically neutral and look at economic facts and realities to be able to do our job. And I think when you look at most of the economic uh, factors that you just talked about, consumer spending during the holidays, GDP, low unemployment, a, a, a rebound in the stock market. There's a lot of positives and a lot of things to be optimistic about, but it hasn't gotten through to consumers, and they're still, you know, very negative and, and, and see things in a in a negative light. And we've talked about that on this show. And again, I think it still goes back to inflation. And again, both sides of the aisle play politics. When, when things are good, they both want to take credit. When things are bad, they both want to blame the other. But this. This phenomenon of inflation that we had post-pandemic was actually fairly predictable. When you think about it, Peg, people hunkered down. People didn't buy airplane tickets. They didn't go to hotels. They didn't rent cars. They didn't go to restaurants. We were hunkered down. We we didn't we weren't doing anything. And when we when we came out again back to normal, we wanted to spend money. We wanted to buy stuff. And there wasn't enough supply to meet the demand. And that was a global phenomenon. That was not any political party's fault or any one person's fault, that was, in fact, probably inevitable. Now, you could argue how we dig ourselves out of it or how we handle it could have been done better or not. That's that's a fair question. But we are where we are, and where I, where I look at where we are, I think things look pretty good. And again, I don't want to be insensitive to anybody that's listening. What do you mean, pretty good, you jerk? I can hardly afford to buy my groceries at the grocery store, fill my car up with gas. I don't want to be in, you know, insensitive to any of those people. When you and I talk, Peg, we're talking about the, the global, the macroeconomic, and we look at the macro, and in particular the performance of the stock market this last year and people's 401k plans, things look pretty good. Peg? Yes, and, and not only in the U.S., 
the the markets overall, um, the U.S. was absolutely definitely up for the year, but so is other um, other markets. Like the global markets have not been up in, for so many years, and this particular year they were up. Now, unfortunately, one reason that they were up is the U.S. dollar is a little weaker than it's been in the past, so they can take advantage of that. Japan. Uh, just to mention one um, country is, is their best year since the market bubble burst that they had in 1989. It was like their best year. So um, the only weak point is still China. China um, is struggling, and there's there's just a lot of uh, questions about their economic trajectory trajectory coming up. But uh, overall, now I have to tell you that in the clients that I've talked to in the last week, kind of doing some tax minute, last minute planning and that kind of thing, they're saying, hey, my 401k is double digits. Now, a lot of that is um, we've been coaching clients for a long time to overweight on the U.S. and specifically large, um, large company stocks. So if that's the case and you have overweighted on those, you are going to find that you've got some double digits there. So, but the real question, I think, Bruce, is that's the past. You know, a lot of people go, okay, that's over, but what's the big question for 2024? And uh, we don't have that crystal ball that when clients, um, I always had kind of a fake crystal ball in my office, and I would always point to it and say, you know, I've got the crystal ball, but I actually, it's very, very fuzzy and continues to be fuzzy. But you take some, um, you know, mechanism, some, um, you know, you kind of look and you anticipate, well, what is 2024 going to look like? And it, it has some good news, you know, in some cases, the, the, um, well, I would say in a lot of cases, the stock market, like the S and P 500, it is an anticipatory mechanism in itself. And what does that mean? Well, it's always ahead of us when, before we see actual numbers. So, Part of this run up in the market is, hey, we might get out of this. And, and if the Fed starts lowering rates and, and um, com- corporations, then if they lower rates, they're going to have lower cost of borrowing money to do their businesses. And, and that will fall to the bottom line and that'll be extra profits. And so we're not necessarily seeing all that yet. The market's anticipating that that's going to happen. And so when you think about 2024, the question is kind of like, oh, did that already happen then? So what's going to happen in 2024? And that's where it is kind of fuzzy. Are are we actually going to go into a recession? And that word alone um, doesn't have to be scary, right? We've heard that it's been headlines for so long. Oh my God, we're going into a recession. And, And a lot of that is, you know, based on consumer and um, the Fed talks a lot about this soft landing, you know, and they're trying to raise and lower interest rates and make sure that the economy doesn't falter when they're trying to get back on track when they're lowering inflation for all of us. Bruce? You know, I I love that that you went to this anticipatory, you know, market. And I think it's a great point, Peg. A lot of times people are surprised when something – good or bad happens, it's a big news story, the Fed did this, or something happened, and the markets don't react the way people think they will, and that's because, as we like to say, it's already been baked into the cake. The markets anticipated that what happened was going to happen and already priced that event in, 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 you know, into the marketplace. 
And one of the reasons why it's so hard to predict the short term, but two really important points I want to make before we talk a little bit more about, you know, things to look at for 2024. Um, we don't know what will happen in the short term, but history has shown us that long term stocks rewarded have historically rewarded investors. And so any money going into the stock market should be long term money. And if it's not long term money, it shouldn't be going into the stock market. I know we say that all the time, but I don't think we can repeat that or say that too often. People need to remember that. And the other thing, Peg, it's not in our outline, but it occurred to me as you were talking we look at, you know, the S&P 500, I think, is going to end up up something like 24% this year. And I can envision people listening going, well, I didn't make 24%. What's wrong with my portfolio? People want, want to look at what they're investing in and compare it to the index that they know or hear on the news, like the S&P or the Dow. But your personal portfolio is probably not, nor should it be, all domestic large cap. You probably got some small cap stocks, some global stocks, some bonds in there, maybe some commodities. A diversified portfolio has a lot of other asset classes, and your return is not going to look like what the Dower S&P looks like. And all of your money should not just be in one domestic large cap index. So, what, 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 Peg? What do you think people should be doing? We got a couple minutes for a break. What do we think people should do as they anticipate heading into 2024, acknowledging we never know for sure what will happen in the short term, but what are some logical things that we can coach people to do? Well, number one, I feel like we've talked about bonds and we talked about interest rates the last couple of years, but now is a time to really sit up and take notice because the yield on the 10-year Treasury, it actually touched 5% in early October of this year. And now, actually, it's fallen to 3.9%. And so the reason for that is that um, the Fed is, is lowering interest rates because they're saying, hey, we might be out of this. And so we don't have to have interest rates so high. And um, part of that is at the longer end of the yield curve. That's all about, you know, people buying now longer and driving the yield down because the volume on the longer part of the curve now is higher, meaning, hey, we may not have these higher interest rates for the long term, so maybe we better lock in some of those yields, you know, maybe the three-year, five-year, ten-year. And uh, so we've been coaching our clients on that. So that, that would be one move, um, Bruce. And then when it comes to the stock market, I love what you said is, please, please, Consider your stock market money, long-term money. And what do I mean by long-term? At least three, five years out. Now, can you take the dividends off your stocks to live on? Sure, that's an option. Um, it's always better if you could reinvest your dividends. But if you want to use that as a source for income, that's okay. Uh, when it comes to what type of portfolio you should have, uh, and we probably want to get more detail uh, around this in the backside of the show, is this 60-40, 60% stocks, 40% bonds. And I believe that's not dead, and I believe it's still very effective today. So I'd like to talk more about that um, in the second half. Bruce? 
Yeah, and Susie, I know we're about due for a break. We'll also get listeners involved in the second half. We'll talk a little bit about 60-40, Peg, like you said, because I think that's important. The only other thing I just wanted to mention really quickly, and maybe we'll dive a little deeper on this also in the second half of the show. Peg, I don't know if you are, but I'm already getting people expressing their concern to me about the markets, about their investments, because this year, 2024, is a presidential election year. And for some reason, they think anytime there's a presidential election year, that the sky is falling and that that's bad news for the stock market and it's bad news for the economy. And the reality is that is not necessarily true. Um, and I wish people wouldn't worry so much about it. But we are a political world now, social media. I mean, everybody's got an opinion and everybody wants to argue about something. But again, Wealth Enhancement Group has to be politically neutral, and the fact that it's a presidential election year doesn't necessarily bother us, but we can dig into that a little bit deeper also maybe in the second half. Susie? All right, very good. If you are listening and you want to call anytime, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you can call one eight 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 six advice You can also email questions to your money at wealthenhancement.com. But for the next half hour, you can text or call this number, 651-461-9226. Again, 651 651- Four six one nine two two six. And welcome back. It is your money. And if you have a financial question for our speakers today, you can call 24 hours a day, seven days a week, one eight 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 six advice You can also email your questions to yourmoneyatwealthenhancement.com. But for the next half hour, you can text or call our studio here at 651-461-9226. Once again, Wealth Enhancement Group Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor Peg Webb and the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group and Financial Advisor Bruce Helmer. Welcome back to both of you. Thank you, Susie Jones. Uh, thank you, listeners, for hanging with us. If you joined us late, Peg and I have been talking about what happened in 2023 and maybe offering some insights or uh, looking forward to 2024. A uh, quick recap 2023 was actually a great year economically on many fronts. We had uh, Low unemployment, strong GDP. We had uh, an, uh, great uh, improvement in the stock market over, uh, as compared to 2022. It was a really good year in the market. Um, interest rates were higher for savers, uh, bank accounts, money markets. Now, interest rates are higher because inflation was up. So the negative that maybe uh, tr- trumps and overrides everything I just said, all the good things, was that people were having a hard time making ends meet because of the increased cost of goods and services. But when we look at the entire economic picture, macroeconomically, 2023 is going to go down in the, uh, in the history books as a pretty good year. We talked about all that, Peg, and we started to talk a little bit about 2024, and no one can ever know for sure what's going to happen in the short term, but we started to give some insights, We and uh, we wanted to dig a little bit deeper. We wanted to talk about the 60-40 portfolio that we mentioned briefly in the first half of the show. We talked about the fact that 2024 is a presidential election year, and maybe we want to dig a little bit deeper in that, into that. And then we'll, of course, get listeners involved. And then again, before I throw it back to you, Peg, just I want to tell everyone listening, I want to tell Peg and Susie, 
I hope 2024 is the best year of your lives. I hope everyone listening has a safe, happy, healthy, prosperous 2024. I love this time of year. I love the beginning of a new year. I love uh, new goals, new challenges, new things to look forward to in life. I hope everybody has, a cop, uh, has an optimistic outlook. Peg, uh, I'll throw it to you. I always, always have an optimistic outlook. It doesn't always go my way. And I love, I love starting a new year because it's just a clean slate. Uh, I wanted to just quickly comment on that 60-40 portfolio, 60% on the growth side, 40% what I call the safer side, which would include bonds and other types of investments as well. But I still feel like it's a good baseline for an effective diversification. Um, the diversification word is key. Uh, you know, not put all your eggs in one basket type of thing. But I got so excited when interest rates were up. You know, we just had no way of getting great income for a very long time. And so that's why everybody was challenging the 60-40 portfolio, the growth side versus the fixed income side or the safer side, if you will. And so now I just want to mention, here's an opportunity where you can try to create, you know, income, reliable income for yourself, you know, on that safer side. And so I've just been encouraging clients once again you know, to uh, maybe lock in some of those uh, bonds on that side. And then when it comes to the election, the only thing I wanted to add is after all doing this job all these years, it doesn't matter. I mean, America's best companies, they just are so innovative, um, you know, creative, just uh, keep charging on whether uh, the president is this person or it's that person. They just continue to you know, grow um, uh, the economy. So bottom line, these cycles that we see of, oh, you know, the Republicans, the Democrats, the independents, all of that, it historically, it just hasn't mattered. So I wanted people just to know, Bruce, that that's our belief. And we're not going to make any moves based on an election in 2024. Bruce? But um, you're getting those questions from people, aren't you, or aren't you? Oh, for sure, for sure. And I, and I do believe that um, people are even more passionate than I've ever seen in my career, is um, that they're just, uh, let's just put it that way, they're very passionate about, you know, the side that they agree on. Yeah. Passionate is the polite word. We are very divisive. And, and what happens is the reason people are asking about election, let's be honest, people think if the wrong candidate wins, if you're a strong Republican, they think if a Democrat wins, everything's going to go to heck. And if you're a Democrat and a Republican wins, they think things are going to go to heck. And I'm using polite language also, using the word heck. But, that, but, the, but the statistics just don't bear that out. We've got loads and loads of data that it just doesn't matter who wins the election. And, Peg, I, I like the fact that you brought up we lose sight sometimes. We talk about investments. We talk about the market. We lose sight of what we're investing in. We're investing in smart, innovative, efficiently run companies that will grow in value over time, regardless of what political party is in power. And, again, it, sometimes it takes time. There's bad years like 2022, 
But again, long-term, history has shown us that stocks historically have provided investors with uh, nice rewards if they're patient and they're long-term investors. Anything else uh, that you want to hit on, out, uh, on our outline, or you want to get listeners involved, Peg? Let's get listeners involved. All right, very good. Well, we had one a minute or so ago. This person says they are 55 years old and retired from a long-time corporate career to pursue pursue an entrepreneurial dream. My wife is still working and is W-2. I'm 1099. The first year, my income was only 50,000. Our combined was close to 400,000. She maxed out her 403B. Should I... Do a SEP or traditional Roth IRA? There you go. Wow, that's such a really good question. So, Peg, we've got a married couple. The entrepreneur uh, has significantly lower income right now. And as an entrepreneur or being self-employed, I think the question is, what plans are available to them? Sounds like the spouse is taking advantage of a retirement plan on their job. They're, They're a salaried employee. But what about, what about independent business owners or people that work for themselves or people that don't work for a company? What options are available to them? And in this case, what, what's a good option for the texter? Well, the first thing I want to mention is uh, a person like this should look at the buckets that they have. And what do I mean by that? We have the three categories, right? There, there, you have a taxable bucket. You have a tax-deferred bucket and you have a tax advantage bucket. Now, more times than not, many of the people that we um, are first introduced to as a potential client, they have the tax deferred stuffed with monies in there, and they have a big IOU to the IRS. And so if you're 55 and you're looking ahead, eventually you're going to retire, right? So if you are low on the taxable or the tax um, advantaged, you should at this point in your life and careers be starting to think about filling those buckets. And why would you do that? Well, one of the reasons you do that is if you're going to retire before your full retirement age on Social Security or before you'd start some kind of a pension that you may have acquired over time, you could live off those monies that you have in the taxable and the tax advantage bucket and not touch any of your tax deferred for some time and be in a really low tax bracket or decide that you want to take um, advantage of that low tax bracket and start to pull out some IRA dollars. Now, that's the first thing I always think of when people ask me about, should I do a Roth or should I do a 403B or should I, you know, what should I do? And um, so that's the first thing to think about. Um, I also think that if one is maxing out already and you have a company business and you want to try to lessen that income, um, sure, you can open up a self-employed plan. Um, You may want to consider, though, doing a Roth IRA, and maybe it seems painful because of your collective incomes. Uh, But still, I think what I find is, because I've done this personally, I find that it was really painful to do the Roth IRA, but then you forget about it, right? You know, a year, two, five years later, you're like, oh, yeah, I I gave that money to Uncle Sam long ago, but wow, am I in a better position today because I did that. 
So not so much, Bruce, the technical things that they should do. I just wanted to walk through, you know, how we think when we get that question. Bruce? Yeah, that was a better answer, actually, than the one I would have given if I had talked first. But um, the only thing I would add is that, that the texture does have several options available to them. And I don't think it's, it's a decision that be, should be made in a vacuum. So whether, whether it's a financial advisor like Peg and I or Wealth Enhancement, or whether it's your tax preparer or both, I would get some guidance as to what your options are and do you want you know, a Roth type plan where you don't get a deduction or do you want a plan where you get a deduction? Peg, my first thought with the combined in, uh, joint income of over $400,000, I thought they'd probably want the deduction, but you're you're right. I mean, actually, you're you're right in that. Long, and again, we don't know how old they are and how long they have to accumulate, but it's 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 probable that even though you don't get the the gratification or the short-term satisfaction of getting the tax deduction, that net net long-term they'll probably net more by by choosing the Roth. But I just I think whether it's a tax preparer or a financial advisor, the texter probably wants to get some advice and see what all their options are, because there, there are a lot of options for, for self-employed people. Anything else on that one, or should we go back to Susie? Let's go back to Susie. Okay, very good. Another texter writes, when referring to bonds in a portfolio, what type of bonds are you thinking about? Oh, man, that's a good question. And Peg is the resident bond expert at Wealth Enhancement. Peg, what are you liking bonds right now? Well, um, in, in bonds in particular, uh, we've been focusing more so on treasuries. Um, and why would we be focusing on treasuries right now? Just in comparison to other uh, types of bonds, whether it be municipal bonds, corporate bonds, mortgage bonds, um, a treasury is a direct obligation of government, and it, it is deemed as some of the highest quality type of bonds that you could buy. Um, so I, I like those. Um, another one that we, uh, we continue to offer is a portfolio of diversified bonds. So, yes, you can get higher yields than treasuries, but when you look at the higher yields, I believe you need someone that's very knowledgeable about the credit of those corporate bonds. So a bond is an obligation of a corporation, and they're borrowing money from you, and then they're promising to pay an interest rate over time, and eventually your bond will mature. Well, that takes a little bit more depth of knowledge say probably a lot more depth and knowledge uh, than a treasury, right? Because a treasury is an obligation of the U.S. government. Well, then when you start to look at corporate bonds, you need more, um, you need more uh, research done on those. Municipal bonds, um, they haven't compared too well with other bonds, meaning interest rate wise, because think about it, interest rates have been um, so high of late. And that just means that municipalities like the state of Minnesota, if they wanted to issue a new bond, a municipal bond, they would have to pay a higher rate today. So the issuance of new municipal bonds has been low since interest rates have gone up. And then there's more aggressive bonds out there 
too. So what a lot of times what we do is we pool all different types of bonds together, and then that creates a little bit higher income. Uh, and we fully manage that bond account. And so it, um, it's helpful for our clients that our investment team is doing that research and uh, using their depth of knowledge as to which ones to buy in different points of time. Bruce? Peg, I'm going to pose a question to you that I'm, I'm not sure I even know the answer. I think I do, but it, it's, it relates to the texture's question about what kind of bonds. And you, you said there's a focus on treasuries, and I get that, and I understand that. But didn't we also, as a firm, on our managed portfolios with bond exposure, didn't we shift a little bit to um, inflation-protected bonds, bonds that, that tend to do better in terms of in times of high inflation? Is that, is that true or is that me just imagining that? Well, we use the tre Treasury um, inflation protection bonds in our, um, uh, what would you call this, um, our defensive portfolio. So meaning uh, it, it's more so in our commodity currency Treasury inflation protection bonds are in our inflation-focused sleeve. And, and why would we put them in there? It's because the interest rate on a Treasury inflation protection bond is deemed based on inflation. And so if inflation is high, you're going to earn more on those Treasury inflation protection bonds while it's high. It is a variable rate. Uh, that rate of interest changes every six months based on the U.S., um, you know, uh, inflation number. And so we we don't necessarily use those much in our bond portfolio. We use them more in our inflation-focused sleeve. Bruce? Okay. So some portfolios, but not all, is what I, what I heard you say. Then the other one I wanted to bring up to, to your attention, again, it relates to, directly to the texture. I literally, you can't make this stuff up, I literally had a client in this past week um, ask me why their portfolio had exposure to, to, to bonds. They were looking at what the stock market was doing, and stocks were doing a lot better than bonds. And it was, he wasn't complaining, but he was like asking, why, why do I have these bonds? And I explained to him about diversity and converse relationship and, you know, the, the, the coupon or the dividend on the bond. But, you know, bonds are, if nothing else, a diversifier and an income provider. And, you know, we, we didn't know at the beginning of 2023, just like we don't know at the beginning of 2024, exactly what asset classes will do the best. So we, we hedge our bet. But how would you have answered that question if a client asked it to you? Well, one of the things that's uh, real, uh, truly misunderstood about bonds is the value of those on the secondary market, right? You can buy a treasury and you can buy an interest rate, lock it in, and you can have a maturity date. So that's sim simple as it gets. But there's a lot of bonds out there that, including treasuries, that are priced to the market. So a lot of our clients look at their performance report over, let's say, the last five years, and they say, oh, why was I in these bonds? Because they're down. Well, if you hold your bonds, you know, for a longer period of time or till they mature, you know, you're going to get your money back. So the mark to the market, and I have to explain this to clients pretty much every day, that, you know, the bonds that you hold have a particular 
interest rate attached to them. And right now, your interest rate, because you bought those bonds two to five years ago, is not as high as today's interest rate. So think about this. If you have a 3.5% coupon and now I can go buy a corporate bond at 6.5%, no one really wants your 3.5% right now for the, the value you paid. If you want to sell that bond, they're going to market to the market to the 6.5%. That means that you're going to have to be willing to take a discount on your bond, you know, to exchange it or sell it in the marketplace to yield what someone could go buy today at a six and a half. That's the most confusing concept uh, for clients. And I understand that because they don't necessarily, um, they're not managing bonds or, or, um, you know, thinking about bonds like they do stocks. I think people know more about how stocks work than they do bonds. Now, what it does do though, is there's an opportunity, I believe right now, because I just talked about, you know, the spread between your coupon that you use that you have and what 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 it is today. Now that's gone down a little bit already because interest rates have gone down in the last couple months. But there's still an opportunity, you know, I've been encouraging clients to take a little bit of money and buy more bonds when it's down because it will revert back to the way it was. Will it ever get back to zero interest rates? No, I doubt it. But I've been encouraging clients and our company has been encouraging clients to add to that bond portfolio when it's on sale, just like we do when stocks are on sale and they're down. We encourage people to add some money. Bruce? Well, Peg, that's a great answer. Susie just gave me the cue that we're at less than two minutes. I don't know if we have time to squeeze in another question. What do you think is the key takeaway or two for listeners as we head into 2024? Well, what I can tell you is that for decades of time, we have done this show and tried to somewhat predict what's going to happen the next year. And it's just impossible, right? So the theme, I think, and the constant theme that we mind our clients is you have to diversify. You also, I would encourage people, if you're pulling income from your portfolio, make sure that that short-term bucket has a couple years worth of safe money. You know, we still don't know where, where we're, we're going to end up in 2024. Or So I don't like to see clients having to pull out money out of a stock portfolio to live when it's down. Now might be the time because the stock market is up. Go sell some of that and move it to your short bucket um, and prepare yourself. Bruce? Yeah, listeners, be safe. Peg, enjoy your granddaughter and Susie. Get better. <laughs> and want to let New Year. Happy New Year to everyone. And also to say one eight 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 six advice. If you did not get your question answered, you can call and make an appointment for a free consultation. Your money at wealthenhancement.com dot com has a lot of great information. Wealth enhancement. Your money at wealthenhancement.com. dot com.